Today is June 16th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan, and we're going to get right into it. We're not even going to do an intro song because we're coming off of a great week last week, and it was historic in New York, not just because of the fights, but because of the Hall of Fame selection, the Hall of Fame classes that were all inducted together. It was the greatest collection of inductees in any sport, and that's no hyperbole. Look at the names here. This was the greatest class ever. Obviously, the pandemic had a major impact on it, pushed back the the ceremonies, but this year you had 2020, 2021, and 2022 all gathering together. It was really a who's who of fighters over the past 30 years. That's how deep this class really is. You had names like Floyd Mayweather, Sugar Shane Mosley, Juan Manuel Marquez, Miguel Cotto, Roy Jones Jr., Bernard Hopkins, James Toney, Vladimir Klitschko, and Andre Ward. Are you kidding me? This this list is insane. But I just want to shine some light on these guys. Obviously, they had their moment. They had their speeches. But I didn't see too many people really diving into this. Um, if I did, I, if there was people, I missed it. So I just want to give you guys a quick rundown of some of the things these guys did that makes them so great. I don't want to take up too much time, but I apologize if I run long this episode. Obviously, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing where three classes go in together, and it's this stacked. I'm going to start off with James Tony. James Tony was a monster. James Tony did have the PED issues, tested positive, and was held back for a few few years in the Hall of Fame. But the body of work speaks for itself. It really does. He fought Mike McCallum at a time nobody wanted any part of him, and he did it twice. The stretch at Cruiserweight is something you don't see ever. Vasily Jiroff and Evander Holyfield back-to-back was high-level stuff. You have to go back and watch those fights. Great fights, both won by Tony. He perfected the shoulder roll with a vicious counter. Obviously, Floyd is the first guy you think of with the shoulder roll, but James Tony, the way he did it, it was just tremendous, and it was destructive with the counters that he was throwing back. He fought exceptionally well off the ropes. And if you hear me talk enough, you know I hate when fighters have their back to the ropes and they think they can get something off offensively. Some can. 99% of fighters can't. James Tony was in that 1%. James Tony was elite. James Tony was one of the best off the ropes and also one of the best inside because when it came down to it, if he couldn't just outbox you, he was willing to go toe-to-toe. You'd have to search long and hard to find a better inside fighter than James Tony. Seriously, go back and watch some of those fights. This guy was tremendous, and he did it at multiple weight classes. Shane Mosley is a guy who I have to mention next. The wins over Oscar De La Hoya. The true grit he showed in a losing effort to Vernon Forrest when he was dropped multiple times. The wins over Fernando Vargas and the absolute ass-whooping against Antonio Margarito after Mosley's team caught Margarito with a clay-like substance in his hand wraps. Shane Mosley also had a PED positive test in his career. I have to mention that. But as much as I'm against PEDs in the sport of boxing, there's at least a slim chance where guys take these things to help recover, to help an injury, things like that. When you're putting something in your hand wrap, there's no doubt about it. You're doing that to injure another human being, to purposely cause brain damage to another human being. I'm not cool with that at all. I think that's cornball stuff. I think that's clown stuff. So the fact that Margarito was caught 
and he got his ass kicked by Shane Mosley is one of my favorite things in the sport of boxing. It truly is. Shane Mosley, not after that victory against Margarito, which was one-sided, it was an absolute beatdown, he catapulted himself back into the top and got a fight with Floyd Mayweather. Mosley wanted the fight for a while. Things didn't match up. Floyd wanted it early in their career, but they finally met up, and Shane Mosley landed the single greatest right hand on Floyd Mayweather that anyone has ever landed on Floyd Mayweather. A clean, straight right, rocks Floyd. It was the only time as a fan of Floyd Mayweather where I had my stomach drop. I could feel like Floyd was about to get knocked out right then and there. Not only did he land that right hand, that straight right, later in that same round, he lands a right hook that wobbles Floyd again. Great round by Shane Mosley. Really his last hurrah, because after that, Floyd walked away with the victory and won almost every round after that. But that moment in time was tremendous, and it really is what I think of when I think of the end of Mosley's career. Yes, he had the great wins earlier in his career, but that round two against Floyd is a cap on an illustrious career. Of course, he fought after that, but that was his last time at the top. Miguel Cotto, I got to mention next. Puerto Rican sensation, known for tremendous heart. My favorite part of his career was getting revenge on the guy I just mentioned, Antonio Margarito, because before the Mosley fight, Margarito beats Cotto, gives Cotto his first loss, and Cotto was on record saying after the fight that he felt like he was hit with bricks. Well, Miguel, you probably were, because Margarito was caught cheating shortly after, and I'm of the belief that when a guy's caught cheating, or a person in general in life, when you're caught cheating, I don't believe that's your first time. I believe that's your first time being caught. So Margarito's a scumbag, that's the moral of the story, but Cotto, the win over Margarito, the win over Zab Judah really sticks out to me as well. The crowd in MSG, go back and watch that. The crowd in Madison Square Garden was thunderous. You would have thought the Knicks just won the finals. That's how insane people went in New York when Miguel Cotto beats Zab Judah. Cotto also had a really good fight with Floyd. He pushed Floyd a lot. He made Floyd stand and trade with him when you know Floyd didn't want to. And it was actually the, the fight that, which, that made Floyd Mayweather Sr. come to Floyd and say, listen, you got to switch this up. You're getting hit too much. I need to be your main, your main trainer. And really from that point forward, Floyd Sr. was the lead man in that corner. He called the shots. He developed the game plan. And it kept Floyd safe for the rest of his career. Minus the Maidana fight, which was a war, especially in the first half of the first fight. On to Vladimir Klitschko. I admittedly wasn't a fan of the Klitschko era. The heavyweight division was pretty boring to me at that time, but I always respected his reign. Like it or not, he dominated his era. Along with his brother, who may have been a little bit better, Vladimir Klitschko was always in tip-top shape, always stayed active. He didn't have these long stretches of inactivity. He possessed a great jab. He's truly deserving of Hall of Fame status. His fight against Anthony Joshua really encapsulated his true heart and determination at the end of his career. That fight, even in a losing effort, did more for his career than some of his wins did. That was a big statement because they wanted to see, okay, you're dominating this era, but who's really that gifted? Who's really that tough? Who's really high, high quality fighters at that time? When Joshua came up, he was of that ilk. And... Klitschko held his own. It was a great fight. One of the best fights that year. Up next, Bernard Hopkins. I mean, where do you even begin with this guy? This guy had such a long-storied career. A true Ironman of the sport. The definition of longevity is Bernard Hopkins. 
a true master of technique. This is a guy who picked up boxing in prison. He loses his first pro fight, but continued to get better, even in his 30s and 40s, seemingly aging backwards. Bernard Hopkins is one of a kind. He fought pretty much every year until he retired. No long times off. No long, no years off. The win over Felix Trinidad is the first thing that comes to mind when I think of this guy. Right after 9-11 in New York against a Puerto Rican legend in front of the Puerto Rican fans. The fight with Oscar, of course, stands out as well. Back and forth chess match that ends with an instant brutal shot to the body that sends Oscar into the fetal position. Like Bernard Hopkins just has so many fights. The, even against Kovalev late in his career, he gets shut out basically, but... The fact that he's even in there, the fact that he even survives against a guy who is knocking everyone out, he is just, yes, he stunk a lot of fights out. Yes, he had boring fights, but that's because he was so great at what he did. He was so great at the mind game. He was so great at being in the right position and throwing you off, even with subtle movements. He didn't even have to throw sometimes to just win a round. Like, he'd barely throw and win the round just on how he was controlling you. He was controlling you with his range. Just flicking the left hand out there. Knowing that a power right hand could be coming at any moment. Bernard Hopkins had it all. He didn't have many great fights. But that's how good he was at just controlling the pace of the fight. Controlling the action. And just being a true master. He got better as he went on. Like any other profession. When you gain this knowledge. His body was always in shape as well. He was never out of shape. So age didn't really affect his body because he was never out of shape. He was always fighting and always training. And he fought tough competition up until his last fight against Joe Smith Jr., who I'm going to get into later. He has a great fight this weekend. Joe Smith Jr., of course, makes a name for himself by knocking Bernard Hopkins out the ring. And that's really, I believe, if I remember correctly, that's his only knockout loss of his career. Bernard Hopkins, true legend, Iron Man, absolute Iron Man of the sport. Literally had two different eras, even with his nickname. At first, he was the executioner, then became the alien. This guy was an alien because he's not human. The things he did, for as long as he did them, were unbelievable. He's a true Hall of Fame talent, and I congratulate him. Next up is Juan Manuel Marquez. One of my favorite fighters to watch, and it's not just because of his name. Juan was always fun to watch. He embodied the warrior spirit of traditional Mexican fighters, but he also possessed a ring-savvy Kind of like a slick American style. He was a great counterpuncher. The wars with Pacquiao. Do I even have to continue? <laughs> the wars with Pacquiao were epic. I believe he won two and three. The judges disagreed, but that fourth fight was the vindication he needed. Sensational knockout of Manny and really left no doubt about who won the series in real life. Because judges said one thing. A lot of people disagreed. Either way, though, these fights were close until the last one. Definitely watch them. One of the best series of all time. Marquez Pacquiao. All four fights were tremendous. You also have to mention the war with fellow countryman Marcos Antonio Barrera. That was a great fight. And then the knockout of Juan Diaz. Another great sensational performance by Marquez. But there's many more fights to watch. Those are just some that stick out. Marquez, a true warrior, embodied his country and didn't really get the credit until later in his career. Marquez, a true Hall of Famer, one of my favorites to watch. I suggest watching any of the Pacquiao fights if you're not familiar with this guy, and you will get familiar with this guy. Up next, Roy Jones Jr. I mean, if Roy Jones Jr. 
retired after becoming heavyweight champion, you can make a case he's the greatest ever. And I mean that. The athleticism was unmatched. Cat-like reflexes. Tremendous hand speed. He had the power. He was very unorthodox, too, the way he threw punches. He did things you can't teach. He actually did things the opposite of what trainers would teach you. That's how special he was. He was different than everybody else. You cannot teach somebody to be like Roy Jones Jr. But what also made him special was his willingness to chase greatness. Climbing up the weight divisions, all the way to heavyweight. He beats a young B-Hop with ease. I mean, it wasn't close. This is Bernard Hopkins we're talking about. It wasn't close. The Montel Griffin rematch, after he gets a DQ loss, which was really the first loss of his career, was by disqualification. The rematch against Griffin was a statement. He knocks him out in the first round like, dude, are you serious? This guy's not even on my level. But nothing to me matches him beating an undefeated James Tony in his prime. Scratch that, not just beating him, completely dominating him and making Tony look like they grabbed him out of the crowd. It was that impressive. This is a Hall of Famer. These guys are both going in. He made them look like they didn't belong with him. That's Roy Jones Jr. He was different. He was special. I really wish for legacy purposes he didn't continue fighting, but at the end of the day, I get it. He loved the game that much. He wanted to continue fighting, and he looked at it like, what, you can whoop me? Nope, let's prove it. That's his mindset still to this day. If you say, Roy Jones, I can whip your ass, best believe you're going to be fighting Roy Jones Jr. You see him in the street and say that to him, you're fighting him. He's not going to just walk away. He wants to prove that he's the best fighter on this planet still now. The guy just freaking had an exhibition with Mike Tyson. How many people are going to do that? Not many. Roy Jones was that different and still is to this day. A true treasure. One of my favorite commentators. One of my favorite fighters. This guy is just the man. That's all I have to say about Roy Jones Jr. Up next, Andre Ward. During his time, I mean, it was him and Floyd. Floyd was obviously my favorite, but Andre Ward was right there. One of my favorite fighters of all time. A guy who was nothing but first class his entire career. A true champion. Took on all comers. Could fight any style that was necessary for the opponent across from him. He could beat anyone at their own game. He was best known for entering the Super 6 tournament, which matched the 6th best super middleweights in the world. And Andre Ward entered that tournament with the 5th most likely odds. He was 5th out of 6th. And he won the whole damn thing. He really showed his whole game on the entire tournament on his way to prove that he was the best super middleweight on the planet. He opened the tournament with an upset over the champion, Mikel Kessler. Bloodying Kessler with big counter shots. I believe he headbutted him in the fight as well. I think it was unintentional, but he bloodied Kessler with either a headbutt or the shots, you know, or a combination of both. Kessler was a bloody mess. The finals against Carl Froch, though, were back and forth. But again, Ward showed his ability to adjust and dig deep, winning the fight at range early, and then closing the distance and get her, getting better of Froch on the inside for a really close victory that everyone believed he deserved. Great fight, though. And then finally, at the end of his career, moved up to light heavyweight, took on the boogeyman of the division, the undefeated Sergei Kovalev. And Kovalev and him had a war in the first fight, a very, very close fight that I believe Andre Ward won. I was the only person in the room that night that believed Andre Ward won. But the judges agreed with me. Kovalev drops Ward early in the fight, but I believe Ward's boxing ability from the second half really 
got him the narrow win. But all doubt was erased when they brought it back and they ran it back shortly after. And Andre Ward got a stoppage victory over Kovalev with body shots up against the ropes. Where Kovalev seemingly gives up just letting Ward pound away at his body. To the ref just had said, this is enough. It's over. Ward bullied the bully and put a cap on his career. Retiring undefeated. Many people wanted him to come back to fight maybe Canelo. But that was really the only fight out there that, that Ward would even consider. Ward been a true man of his word this entire time. Retired on his own and has had, had a great career as a broadcaster since on ESPN. Andre Ward is class act all the way through. One of my favorite fighters. Definitely check him out if you haven't seen Andre Ward. I would start at the Super 6 tournament like I mentioned earlier. Just because it really shows him literally climb through an entire division. Andre Ward was a real treat to watch. I think because he did a little bit of everything, he did everything really well. There was nothing that he wasn't good at. And I think any new fan, or even if you haven't seen him in a while and you're really familiar with Ward, I love going back and watching him. I think you guys would enjoy him as well. And finally, last but not least, my personal favorite, the greatest of all time in my opinion, TBE, the best ever, as he likes to say, Floyd Money Mayweather, 50-0. You know it by now. Floyd Mayweather mastered the sport of boxing in so many ways. Mastered it fundamentally. Mastered it offensively. Mastered it defensively. Mastered it marketing himself. Made the most money. But also did it while being undefeated and defeating the most champions in history. Floyd Mayweather consistently fought the top of his division, whether critics would like you to believe that or not. As Floyd would like to say, the proof is in the pudding. You can look back at his career and see what he's done. The history books are written. And kind of like he predicted, the more time goes on, the more appreciation Floyd gains. At the time, he was a villain. A lot of people paid to see him lose. Why? Because he marketed himself in a way that that O was so important. 40 have tried, 40 have failed. 45 have tried, 45 have failed. 49 have tried, 49 have failed. All the way up until his last fight. 50 and O. That O was a huge part of him making more zeros in the bank. This guy put in the work early. Ran through divisions. Lightweight, Diego Corrales. The biggest puncher in the division at that time, undefeated, prime champion. Floyd Mayweather comes in and destroys him, drops him multiple times with vicious left hooks. That's Floyd Mayweather. That's pretty boy Floyd. That guy was an offensive machine. You want to talk about left hooks. Floyd Mayweather is on a short list of greatest left hooks in the history of the sport. Here, trigger. And that wasn't his only signature punch. Of course, the jab to the body, the stabbing jab to the body by Floyd Mayweather. Or who could forget the pull counter? Guy comes over the top. Floyd ducks. Comes back with a straight right hand. Works every time. And then if you got Floyd on the inside, the uppercuts to the body. This guy had all the bases covered. However you made him fight, he was going to fight. But the thing is, 90% of the time, he was the one dictating the pace. He was the one doing to you what he wanted. If he wanted to take it slow, he would take it slow. If he wanted to take it to you, he could take it to you. 
if you wanted to come and pressure him like Ricky Hatton or Marcus Maidana, that could lead to you getting hurt. Ricky Hatton ends up on the canvas. Late in the Maidana fight, he was rocked. You see, people said he didn't have power late in his career. Well, they don't, they don't recognize the hand injuries he had throughout his career, as well as moving up in weight, the combination of those two things. But at the same time, there was a reason guys weren't just walking through him. They didn't like what they were getting hit with, the precision, the accuracy by Floyd. It was pick your poison with this guy, and everyone got poisoned. 50 tried, 50 failed. Some of my favorite fights, uh, the, the Corrales fight I mentioned earlier, the destruction of Arturo Gatti, the master class against Marquez, who also is a Hall of Famer. This guy made Marquez look like he did not belong in the ring with him. The destruction of Canelo Alvarez, 12-0. The mega fight against Oscar that launched him into superstardom when he transformed from Pretty Boy Floyd to Floyd Money Mayweather when he became the A-side for the rest of his career. Um, the Ricky Hatton fight, the hype to that one was incredible. Also because Kenny Bayless, live on ESPN, previously had interviewed Floyd and was insinuating that he was ducking Ricky Hatton. When Floyd Mayweather said, I will stomp Ricky Hatton, Kenny Bayless kind of sarcastically laughed and said, yeah, sure, Floyd. And that's exactly what happened. Ricky Hatton brought the pressure, walked into a left hook, sent him face first into the corner. It was insane. Ricky Hatton was undefeated up until that point. That was a huge fight. The crowd was amazing. Go back and watch that one if you haven't seen it. The Marcos Maidana fight later in his career where Floyd told the press or anyone with a microphone that week or those weeks leading up to the fight that, hey, I'm going to fight this one differently. Tune in. I'm going to fight toe-to-toe with this guy. I'm going to give the people what they want to see. And most everyone pretty much said, ha, yeah, we know. Floyd's selling the fight. He's not really going to stand and trade with a guy who throws 100 punches per round. He's going to outbox him from the outside like he did against Robert Guerrero. Well, when Floyd actually got himself into a brawl with Maidana, at least through the first seven rounds of the fight, the narrative was, oh, Floyd's legs are gone. They're not the same as when he was in his prime. He's losing a step. But if you were paying attention, you realize that's the fight that Floyd said he was going to fight. He actually did it. And it led to a great fight. Maidana brought it. And and Floyd was forced into a fight. The second fight, Floyd boxes from the outside like he usually does and wins easy. So just to kind of prove that, you know, I told you guys I was going to fight a certain way. And I did it. Don't criticize me when I give you what you want. So he pretty much said, you know what, the guys didn't want to kind of hate on it that first time. I'm going to show you guys this guy's not on my level. You guys thought it was a close fight, that I'm losing it. Well, I'm going to make the second one easy, and that's exactly what he did. And then, of course, the mega fight of the century, Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao, was hyped for a long time. Um, It's the highest-selling fight, highest-grossing fight of all time. This fight was so big that my mom, who doesn't watch boxing, and my stepdad, who doesn't watch boxing, were both watching this fight at separate locations. Both went to separate fight parties. That's how big this fight was. Everyone was watching it. The fight, to many fans, did not live up to the hype. I personally, for a very long time, and of course, 
I'm biased. I'm a Floyd Mayweather fan. But I remember telling everyone, Floyd is going to outbox Manny Pacquiao. I've been saying it for years. Everyone who said Floyd was afraid of Manny, that wasn't the case. Floyd outboxed Manny Pacquiao. And people blamed um, age on the fight. I don't know why. Floyd fought that style for a very long time. It's not like he was a lightweight fighting just balls to the wall. He is going to outclass you, make you miss, make you pay, and make it look easy. That's what he did to Manny. And Manny, as far as him being old, Floyd's older than Manny. And Manny went on to have some big wins. He stopped Lucas Matisse after that. He beats up Jesse Vargas after that really easy. He shuts out Adrian Broner, and he wins a title fight against Keith Thurman, who was undefeated at the time, and he drops Thurman in the process. So those fights that I just mentioned are evidence that Manny Pacquiao was not completely past his prime. He was still at a high, high level. Floyd Mayweather just made him look like he wasn't at that level, and that's what Floyd did to a lot of people, and that is why, to me, he's the greatest ever. Three guys we've already talked about here, three Hall of Famers, Juan Marquez, Miguel Cotto, and Shane Mosley all got defeated convincingly by Floyd Mayweather. And that Mosley fight, like I mentioned earlier, that second round, tremendous. One of my favorites because it, it reminds me of a time of vulnerability as a Mayweather fan where I'm like, whoa, this is different here. This could be over. That's the only time. When you can remember that time, that's greatness. And not only did that happen, Floyd didn't wither he didn't go anywhere. He stood right in the middle of the ring and actually brings it to Mosley um, after that, towards the end of the round. That's balls. That's guts. That's heart. That's the will to win. That's greatness. This is a guy who literally did it all. So no matter where you rank Floyd Mayweather as far as the greatest of all time, to me, he's one. Doesn't matter where you rank him, just know you will rank him. You can't mention greatness without mentioning Floyd. If he's not in your top 10 best fighters of all time, then I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take the top 10 list that you have, bring it to your nearest post office. Once you get to the post office, I want you to crumble it up in a ball. I want you to shine it up real nice. Turn that bitch sideways and stick it straight up your candy ass. Because that's all you can really do with it at that point. I mean... A list without Floyd in the 10 is just crazy to me. Something else I, f I forgot to mention was the push for Olympic-style blood testing. Floyd was the only one at that level pushing for it at the forefront so heavily. In fact, included it in all his big fights. I think right after the, the Oscar De La Hoya fight is when he really, really pushed for that. To make sure that everyone was on an even playing field. Make sure that guys weren't taking something that they shouldn't have like Shane Mosley had in the past, or James Tony, and the list goes on. There were a lot of guys doping, and a few that got caught. Floyd was big into that, trying to clean up the sport. It's a big part of today's sport. Guys definitely test more vigorously than they did in the past, and I just think Floyd should get credit for that. But that's pretty much all I have to say about the Hall of Fame class, an epic class. Check out some of the fights I mentioned before, or if you can think of any, Others definitely let me know, and I'll, I'll watch them as well. Um, great careers, great group of fighters, the best group of athletes entering a Hall of Fame in any sport. But that's not all we have for boxing. 
we talk about the Hall of Fame. Well, this is a Hall of Fame level action-packed fight that I believe is about to take place this weekend in New York City at MSG for the light heavyweight championship. These guys will fight for three out of the four titles. I'm talking about Joe Smith versus Arthur Betterbiev. This is going to be a war. I don't know how else to describe it. I think it needs to have a rated R rating for violence. That is how intense this is going to be. This is going to be a war, and I can't overstate that. If this if this fight doesn't deliver, then I don't know anything about boxing. This is going to be a car crash, an absolute war. I have the utmost confidence in that statement, just like I have the confidence that the sun will be out tomorrow. You have two warriors who are battle-tested champions fighting for top status in the division. This fight won't be for the squeamish. You got Joe Smith Jr., who's had experience with Hall of Famer Bernard Hopkins. Maxim Vlasov, very awkward, very tough champion. Dimitri Bivol, who just beat Canelo Alvarez. He's had experience with him as well. He lost that fight. But the story is Joe Smith has been in with top guys. He just hasn't been in with a guy that hits like Arthur Betterbiev. Back to that Hopkins fight. If you watch Blood, Sweat, and Tears, you'll get reminded of the press conference before that fight, and I personally didn't remember it until they showed me it. Bernard Hopkins, in the press conference before their matchup, is pretty much talking down on Joe Smith. Joe Smith, who's known as the ordinary man, the common man, actually, not the ordinary man, the common man, because he was working construction at the time of that fight. He was a laborer, hardworking man who now owns a tree-cutting business. This guy just works his ass off. He was the type of guy that would train during his lunch break at work, at his construction job. This guy is all hard work, hard work and dedication. We talk about Floyd Mayweather. This guy also, all he knows is hard work and dedication. So he's got a nickname, The Common Man. I mean, you can relate to him. His name's Joe Smith. He's got a simple name. He's a simple man, right? Well, Bernard Hopkins talked down on him and pretty much said, this guy's a common man or I'm special. Keeps pointing at him. Common? And then points to himself. Special. Which guy are you taking? Well, it turns out the common man knocked the special man out the ring, ending Bernard Hopkins' career, knocking him through the ropes. And it was so bad that Bernard Hopkins, who was a great fighter, I <laughs> talked about him and with, gave him high praise earlier in the podcast. This is Bernard Hopkins' lowest moment, folks, and it's at the end of his career. He goes to Max Kellerman, and it's, it's funny. He says, man, I was pushed out the ring. That wasn't a punch. He pushed me. Well, Max Kellerman, being Max Kellerman, says, actually, it was a punch. And we got the footage right here and points up to the screen. And it shows the replay of Joe Smith having Bernard up against the rope, just letting off a combination that sends Bernard tumbling out the ring, landing on his head. Couldn't get in the ring before. I believe it's a 20 count if you get knocked out of the ring. Correct me if I'm wrong. But he couldn't beat the count, couldn't get back in the ring in time. Fight was over. Um, Joe Smith is a power puncher, volume puncher. He is coming for war. It doesn't matter if you're Bernard Hopkins. It doesn't matter if you're Arthur Better Be. This guy 
knows one way. He's the common man, right? Well, it's common for him to start the fight very fast, throwing huge right hands and left hooks. This guy is fun to watch, all right? He starts quick. Arthur Beterbiev, on the other hand, doesn't have as much big fight experience, but he does have some really significant victories. One that sticks out to me is against Alexander Vozdik. Now, a guy from the Ukraine was part of the Usyk and Lomachenko camp. He was a huge puncher. He was trained by Teddy Atlas. Well, he went toe-to-toe with Arthur Beterbiev, and it was a war, and Beterbiev had the heavy artillery. It was so bad, in fact, that Gvozdik hasn't fought since. He retired from the sport. That was his first loss, and it was so bad, he retired and never looked back. This loss was in October 2019. He has not fought since. He vowed to retire at 17-1. That's crazy. Gvozdik was a monster. That was a 50-50 fight, and better be if ran through him. His last fight was also really interesting. Marcus Brown, athletic, southpaw, trains with Derek James, uh, Errol Spencer's trainer, comes from a great camp. He had some success early against Better Biev, hit him with some big left hands. He had good movement, but there came a point in that fight after Better Biev was split open and bleeding everywhere where the referee even looked at, for the doctor to think, hey, we might have to stop this. This guy's bleeding that much. This is bad here. This could be a bad situation. And that fight, Better Biev looked at his own blood, dug deep, found a way to cut off the ring. And once he cut off the ring against Marcus Brown, he began to punish him. It got ugly quick. That's with Bardabiev. It may take him a little while to get going. But once he gets going, it's over. If he gets you against the ropes, it's over. It's done. The fight is done. You are not getting out of a position where he has you pinned against the ropes and he's letting off combinations because there's nowhere for you to go. You have to stay off the ropes against better BF. I think people sometimes get blinded by the KOs because this guy has a 100% KO percentage. 100. 17-0, 17 knockouts. This guy has never heard the final bell. He doesn't know what it sounds like. He's never heard it. He gets into a rhythm but he throws these very technically sound punches. It's not just wild power. It's very technical, and it's with perfect placement. He doesn't waste punches. He's not super high volume. He doesn't waste. He waits for the opening, and then he just goes to work like a drum. It's just rhythm. It's right hook, left hook, right hook, left hook. Sometimes he'll jab a little bit. He doesn't have to jab, but sometimes he'll let that jab go. But the body punches is what makes a difference. He breaks you down to the body with vicious hooks. Like, everything this guy throws looks like it hurts. Bad. Like, this guy is no joke. Him and Joe Smith are going to be in a collision. The thing is, the best way to beat him, like Brown was doing, is on the outside. But Joe Smith isn't that type of fighter. Joe Smith is going to come forward. Joe Smith believes in himself as well. He doesn't think a guy's going to stand there and take his shots. And the thing is, um, as technically sound as better BF is, his defense isn't the greatest. He does get hit a lot more than he should. He has been down before. So it's not like this guy 
isn't vulnerable. The thing is, you can't let his offense get going. That's why I like this fight so much. Joe Smith starts fast. Better be it may take a little while to get comfortable. So I think the early rounds favor Joe Smith. And Joe Smith has the power, has the motor as well, that he could possibly pull off an early stoppage. I think that's possible. One thing I do know is this fight isn't going the distance. There's no way these guys are going to be able to withstand each other for 12 rounds. I can't see it. But if it does go to the 12th round, Joe Smith again may have the advantage. Better Biev is used to fights getting stopped early. Joe Smith has amazing stamina. I'm talking a guy that can throw over 100 punches in the 12th round as if it was the first round. Joe Smith, high, high motor. He does not get tired. I've never seen a fight where he gets tired. Better Biev, I've seen him win it a little bit. He's got those big muscles. Big muscles need more oxygen. This guy does seem to tail off a little bit, but guys usually don't make it that far. So it's it's so interesting. This fight could go either way. I like better Biev, but I'm going to be rooting for Joe Smith. I got to be honest. The story um, of this guy and his career, the ups and downs, it's just something that you can't help but get behind. Really humble guy. Not to say better Biev isn't. Better Biev seems like a great guy as well. It's just an amazing fight. Can't wait to watch it. It's in New York at MSG. The undercard as well is really good in a big matchup of guys really trying to both take the next step at the same time. Two really talented young guys who passed the eye test with flying colors but haven't really had that big fight. Well, now they're going to get it against each other. Abraham Nova, 21-0. He's actually a Dominican who was born in Puerto Rico. Interesting enough, his parents are both Dominican, had him in Puerto Rico. 21-0, 15 knockouts, featherweight who is just... Seems to have it all. I mean, his knockout against William Encarnacion was big time on ESPN. And every time I see him, he seems to be getting a little better. I'm interested if he can take that next step against the Olympian. Ropesai Ramirez, the Cuban, 9-1. and one. I think he lost like his first fight. Yeah, he lost his first fight and then has gone on a run ever since, beating Felix Carballo. That's probably his biggest win. But Abraham Nova is going to be a tough test. Both guys are really in for their biggest step up in competition. Southpaw versus Orthodox, classic matchup. I kind of favor Ropesai Ramirez. He has the amateur pedigree. Abraham Nova, though, is the guy they're pushing more, seems to have more backing, has a little gimmick with his mascot. So this is really a tough one to call. I'm gonna I'm gonna favor the Olympian. I'm gonna favor the Cuban style, but it should be a good fight either way. That's on ESPN. That begins, I believe, at 10 p.m. on regular ESPN. And, of course, will also be on ESPN+. Plus. Either way you watch it, make sure you tune in. The main event is going to be fantastic. And the co-main is really solid on paper. That's all I got for you this week. Give me that five-star review. Subscribe. Share it. Do all that cool stuff. Your boy's out.